guys before, there's a, there's a weird thing that's going on in my heart whenever it comes time to preach. I have a tremendous sense of inadequacy, overwhelming sense of inadequacy. I'm like, man, oh man, oh man, if this is up to me, it's going to be a train wreck. And at the same moment, I have this unbelievable peace that God is in it. So uh, thankfully, right now, I feel peace. So let's just pray that the other part doesn't rear <laughs> its ugly head and show up. Um, but we're going to be talking about uh, continuing in Joshua chapter 17. Now, last week, we were in verse number one, and that message was called Rebellious by Nature. And what we did was we looked at the children of Manasseh. We looked specifically at that to the children of Machir, which was one of Manasseh's sons, the firstborn. And what we saw was those were the ones that defied God. They were the ones that actually chose to, instead of live in the promised land, they actually chose for themselves to be in the wilderness. And what we saw in this defiance was the fact that they were missing out on what God intended for them. God had a place that was peaceful for them, a place that was safe for them. He had a place where they would be amongst their brethren, but it was their personal desire for gain and for things, uh, the things of the world, the things that got a hold of their eyes, that they decided that, you know what, we're going to forego what God has for us and we're going to choose we're going to choose the world, which is pictured in the wilderness. And what we've talked about is the fact that this is so relevant to the fact of the way Christians many times function in the world, where we may have a heart and a desire uh, to, to be Christian, right? We, we look the part. We, we dress the part. We may call ourselves Christian. We may wear the T-shirt. We may show up to church. We may do all these things. But the problem is that we, unfortunately, in the end, actually make our dwelling in the world, right? So there's a lot of people that look the part, but if you looked at their life and you really diagnosed what was going on in them, you would recognize the fact that, listen, they've not sold themselves out to God. They've, in fact, sold themselves out to the world. And so this is a, a danger. And so what we're seeing here in this aspect is the fact of them missing out on the fellowship God intended for them is the fact that there's, it's driven by a, a nature that we all have to struggle with. There's a, a carnal nature that unfortunately impacts all of us. When we come into this world and we're born into this world, guess what? We're born into a sinful nature. That's who we are by nature. We get that from Adam. But then there's another nature that we inherit through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. At the moment of salvation, we inherit a spiritual nature. The Spirit of God lives within us. And now what happens? It comes down to this thing. Which one will we allow to lead us? Which will we allow to guide us? And whichever one we choose to follow will ultimately reveal, be revealed in our choices. Right? Sinful choices, guess what? Or sinful nature, sinful choices, right? Godly spiritual nature, godly spiritual choices. We can look at our life and diagnose where it is that we are. The choices of the things that we choose to follow, the things that we can choose to consume, that's the word I wanted to say, consume into our lives. And then lastly, we came to the realization that those who would choose to be outside of the promised land, what was interesting is the fact that they would never experience. God's peace. And we saw in this half-tribe of Manasseh, in the patriarch named Machir, that God actually calls him a man of war. Okay, And it shows up eight different times in Scripture. With the very first time, it shows up in Exodus 15. And God actually is a, listed as a man of war. So what this tells us, this is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. And it is a battle of rebellion because God is one of the combatants and the rebellion is against him. So we see is this, this preeminent or this permeated um, rebellion that was in Machir, guess what? It translated into his offspring as well. And because of that, they would not experience godly peace. They chose their land to be in the promise or outside of the promised land, meaning that what they would border would be enemy land. 
So they would never experience the peace of God. They would, in fact, just simply live for moments where they wouldn't be conflict. Because what you find is that God gave them Canaan. Canaan was designated and delineated by the Jordan River as a separation so all that God's people could be protected by this physical barrier. They don't have that barrier. So they're in a constant situation where they're always waiting for an enemy. And can I tell you that when you make your friendship or you build your dwelling in the world, that you are all bordered by enemies. This world hates us. Hates God. Your friends in the world are not your friends. They are, in fact, your enemies. They love to see you give up on your faith. They love to see you compromise your faith. They love to see you go to the lake when you're supposed to be in church. They love to watch you fall away from this God that you say you love. And there's so many Christians that claim Christ, but their world is in the wilderness. That's where their heart is. And God's saying, man, you know what? If you'll do that, you're never going to experience my peace. You can't because you're amongst enemies, but amongst your people, amongst my fellowship, and we walk together. Guess what? My peace. My peace. It'll pass all understanding. The world won't be able to relate to how you can deal with the adversities you are because you're walking in fellowship with me. And see, God intends that for all of us. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God which passes with all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. But how many Christians constantly have their hearts and minds riddled with the things of the world and there's such adversity that they deal with every single day, battling through life. And yet God says, that's not what I intend. It's not what I intend for you. And what we found out as we looked at this is bottom line, it comes down to choices. It comes down to choices. Surrendering to God brings us into God's fellowship. It brings us into peace with God. And what we find is, the fact, that's where we experience our spiritual promised land. That's where the abundant life with Christ is. But see, so if that's what surrender does, you know what rebellion does? Rebellion drives you to the wilderness. It drives you to the world. And no matter how well we disguise our rebellion, the results speak for themselves. And so what happens is we Christianize our rebellion, and yet if we look at the results, we look at where our heart is, it tells us. Right? Am I walking with God in fellowship? Do I experience the peace of God? Is that where I am? Am I in the midst of God's will for my life? Or am I in the midst of the wilderness and I'm trying to convince myself that I'm there? Recognize the fact that, man, the devil wants to destroy us. And as we've looked at this tribe, we've looked at all 12 tribes, they've looked unified, right? There's been a whole time they've fought side by side through this whole deal. But what we actually find as we get in looking into them is they're actually, they're divided. They're divided. And what we're doing with this tribe of Manasseh is we're looking at that division at a whole different level. Because what we know about Manasseh, Manasseh wasn't intended to be two tribes. It's split because of the will of man. And what we find is, the fact, not only the fact that they're divided, but it's interesting today what we're going to talk about is what it is that divides them. And this today's message is called, called Family Matters. So let's pray. Jump into it. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the gift of the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that you've given me, Lord. As unworthy as I am, as as uh, ungifted or talented or whatever, I don't have what it takes, God, to do what you've called me to do. And yet, Lord, I know that through you, God, great and mighty things can be done. So, Lord, I pray that this will be, I'll be a vessel that, God, you would use and that your word would speak to our hearts. Lord, I know you've spoken to me and I'm asking and I'm begging you, Lord, to speak through me that we might receive your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Joshua 17, verses 2 through 6. There was, a, there was also a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh by their families. So we just, verse 1 was telling us we were talking about those in the wilderness, so now we're talking about those in the promised land. Okay, the rest of the children of Manasseh by their families. For the children of Abiezer, the children of Helek, uh, and for the children of Asriel, and the children of Shechem, and for the children of Hefer, and for the children of Shemida, and uh, these were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, by their families. But Zelophehad, imagine having that as a childhood name, um, Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, uh, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but daughters, and these are the names of his daughters. Mala, Noah, and this one I just think is the most unflattering name, Hogla. I just think of that as like, Dad, could you hook me up with something else? Um, Milka and Terza. And it says, and they came near before Eleazar the priest and before Joshua the son of Nun and before the princes, saying, the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brethren. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brethren of their father. And there fell ten portions of Manasseh beside the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side, Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh had an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. So in today's message, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this family of Manasseh. And as we're looking at this, what's taking place is really learning lessons kind of from how this whole deal falls, falls out, how, the, how they're divided into the two parts. And what we're going to see is the fact three different things. We're going to see, first of all, that number one, honoring God sometimes means separating from family. We're going to see that honoring God means honoring women. And we're going to see that honoring God requires honoring his word. So verse two is listing the male lineage of those that would choose the promised land. And as we go through and look at that, what's interesting is we figure out that they're not just of the descendants of Asherel. There actually are Machir's descendants in the mix also. So what we look at this is so many times what we want to do is we want things to be kind of um, easy uh, to understand, easy to follow. We want things to follow down easily delineated lines. But what we find when it comes to family, um, that's rarely the case. Rarely are things simple and easy when it comes to families. Anybody else agree with that principle, right? Man, I'm, it can be incredibly, incredibly complex. But what happens in life is we want things to be black or white, you know, right or wrong, good or bad. But as we already know with this family group is that's not the way things take place. This is not a clean delineation between the brothers. No, it's not that at all. So what happens is there's this complexity that takes place in familial relationship. What we find is there are many contributing factors to when things are going well and when things are not going well. And what we'll find is the fact that you and I, unfortunately, as we deal with families, there are struggles, right? We want, uh, we want things to be um, uh, 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 clear uh, or easy or, or, or without strife. But what we find is that when, when we counsel with families, right, if someone comes to us and they go, hey, man, you know, I'm really struggling our marriage or relationship with our kids or whatever it is, there's always three, sword, three sides to the story, right? There's his side, right, with all the bias that he brings. There's her side with all her bias. And then there's the truth, right? The truth is always somewhere in the middle because what happens to you and I, unfortunately, is as we go through life, as we face life and as we go through it, what we do is we tend to de- develop a lens through our experiences that discerns how we see the world, how we see people even, right? So as an example, let's imagine this. We're awfully betrayed by someone. Following that betrayal, what will happen is we will see everyone through the lens as a potential betrayer, right? 
Someone, right, someone that we love dies, and we feel that they have abandoned us, that they've left us. And you know what we tend to do? Live in fear that we're going to lose our loved ones, and we're constantly controlled by that. Or let's say as an example, someone, man, someone just flat out lies to us. They just lie to us, and we go, you know what? Man, I, I trusted what they said. And from that day forward, guess what we have a hard time, hard time doing? Trusting what people tell us. So here we go. And so what happens, then we go into our relationships, right? And we bring our lens into our relationship. And now we see the world through this perspective. And guess what? They bring their lens as well. And they see everything through their perspective. So they're sure they're right, and we're sure that they're right. And guess what? Like I said, the truth is is somewhere in the middle. And what we'll find is this is where the complexity of relationships takes place. And there's all of this stuff in earthly relationships that makes relationships very, very, very difficult. But what's awesome about our relationship with God is it's not that way at all. See, with God, it's, it is black or white. It is straightforward. It is simple with our Heavenly Father because guess what? He has no hidden agenda. He never communicates in half-truths, right? He doesn't drop hints by slamming the door when he leaves the room, right? <laughs> he doesn't lie, right? What we find about the Lord is the fact that, listen, he is a straightforward communicator. He tells us the truth in love. He tells us what we need to hear, whether we want to hear it or not. And see, and he does it for our benefit. God is never trying to tear us down other than to get us out of the way so that he can work through us. But God's not going to destroy us. God is not a condemner. The devil's a condemner. The devil's, uh, the God is an edifier. He builds humanity. and That's the whole thing. And so what happens, you and I can learn so much for the way that God communicates with us. How should I communicate? Straightforward, honest, truthful, but doing it with love, always with the goal, not to gain control, but to help that person to be better. My desire is to help them in my life through interacting with their life. And so we take the complexities of human relationships, right? And then here's the problem. What we tend to do is we take the complexity of human relationships on the lens that we bring to life, and then we try to apply this to our relationship with God, okay? So now what happens I'm in a relationship with the Lord. I've gotten saved, and now I'm trying to learn how to trust and follow God. And guess what's happening? I was betrayed in my life. Maybe God. Maybe God will betray me. Now, we wouldn't say that, but emotionally, we can carry the weight of that. And yet, what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Forsake us means betray us, right? He's never going to do that. We could say, well, you know what? He might leave me. You know what? I know he promises that he won't, but, you know, but he, might, he might leave me. But the Bible tells us that although we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that he is with us in that moment. And we might think, you know what? Other people have lied to me. And you know what? Maybe with my bias, I see God's word and I say, you know what? It might be true for somebody, but it may not be true for me. And we won't trust him. Yet the Bible says that he cannot, cannot lie. And will not. How beautiful is that relationship? And so what we have when we consider the dynamics of a familial relationship and all the inconsistencies that exist as we've all experienced and we've all gone through, what we have to understand is in our relationship with God, the inconsistency is not with Him. 
The inconsistency is us. And so this is a different kind of relationship. This one, God fulfills everything that he says that he will do. He is always with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He loves us in our good and he loves us in our bad. We have what is called, um, 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 golly, I know I was going to forget this word. You don't have to earn it, what he called? Conditional. Unconditional. Yes, unconditional love. So it's not based upon the person that you are. And so some of us have grown up in homes where, less what, love was conditional. As long as you do the right thing, I love you. But boy, don't you fail me, because you're dead to me. You know what? God's always willing to restore us, always loving, always caring. And so with God, it is literally as simple as black or white, right or wrong, good or bad. And for the tribes of Manasseh, promised land or wilderness. You pick. There's a delineating factor, the Jordan River that goes right down the middle. You decide where you want to be. And so when we consider this, the familiar perspective, when we consider this from a familiar perspective and all the complexities that those things bring, this is where the division actually takes place when it comes to the tribes of Manasseh. It's not between the brothers. No. It's actually a line of division based upon faith. One part of the family trust God's word, and they adhere to it. The other part of the family trust themselves or trust the wills of their brothers, and they put their faith there. So we see a delineating line, a separating point in the family based upon faith. And this brings us to our first point. Honoring God sometimes means separating from family. Verse number two says this. There was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh by their families, for the children of Abiezer and the children of Helic and the children of Asriel and the children of Shechem and the children of Hafer and the children of Shemida. Though these were the male children of Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, by their families. So these are the ones that are in the promised land. And as we go through and look at these names, what you find out is Abiezer, Shechem, and Shemida, those are all descendants of Machir. These are not, it's not a clean line between the brothers. It's not Asherel and Machir. No, in actuality, it is a blend of the two. All of Asherel's are actually over here, but understand these others, Machir, some of his family is actually over in the promised land. And so what happens is, like I said, we always want things to work out on these clean, easy things to follow. And we hear Machir, we just go, oh, that's all of them, but it's not. It is a blend of the two. And it comes down to this. It was based upon loyalty. Loyalty to God. There was either loyalty to the family. Listen, we're going to the promised land, and these guys are going, no, guess what? We're going to the, to the wilderness. you got to decide which one you're going to follow. And what we find is the fact that some were willing to trust and follow God, and others were willing to say, listen, you know what? We're going to do our way. We're going to do things our way. And what we'll find many times is you and I as believers, sadly, our faith can be a delineating line in our families. You know, and it's interesting, Jesus speaks on this subject in Luke chapter 12, verses 51 through 53. He says, suppose ye that I come to give peace on earth. This is what you think, question mark. Suppose I came, I come to give peace on earth. I tell you nay, but rather division. He says, I've actually come to bring division. He says, for from henceforth there shall be five in one household. One house divided, three against two, and two against three. And the father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, and the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus is referencing faith. He's saying, listen, there is going to be a point of contention in the home, and that point of contention is him. 
He's come to bring division because some will stand with him and some will deny him. The Bible says that the world hated him. And so what we'll find is based upon our faith, literally it can cause division between family members. There can be a separation in our homes based upon our faith. He restates this in a different way in Luke 14. When we look at verses 26 through 27, he addresses talking about here the depth of love and the commitment to him. Uh, Verse 26 through 27, he says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life, also he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He says, hate, hate. What he's talking about is he's saying, the level of love that you have for me should be so immense and so intense and so special that when you compare it to the love you have for this earthly individual, it looks like hate. It's that powerful because you know I am number one in your life. And notice he includes even ourselves because we love ourselves. And God knows how susceptible we are to idolatry. He knows how susceptible we are to worship things like our spouses or our children. Boy, our children, that is a big one. Our children become our idols. And what happens in homes? There are families all over this city right now today that are not in church because there's a ball game or an event or something going on. Well, guess what? That takes priority. This takes priority. What happens is literally families will schedule their whole lives around whatever their kids got going on. And what happens is they end up serving their children. And the things of God that should be prioritized take the back seat, and the things that are supposed to be accomplished for the glory of God are missed out on. And so, listen, there's nothing wrong with activities. There's nothing wrong with doing things. But listen, as long as they're kept in the proper priority in life, recognize what does God tell us? Like, he warns us about idolatry, right, in Scripture. We go back to Exodus chapter 20, and we look at when he's laying it out in the Ten Commandments. And I want you to notice what he says here in verse number five. And consider, right, these people that live for their kids and live for their whatever it is, their hobby, whatever it is. He says, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. Notice this part, and listen, nor serve them. Nor serve them. What he's saying is, if you are prioritizing your life around this event or stuff that you're doing or your child, if this is what you're doing and I'm not what you're scheduling your life around, there's a problem. That has become your idol. Notice what he says. For I, the Lord, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Notice, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. Now, what is the iniquity? The iniquity is putting something above God. That's saying, hey, you know what? I know I should be there, but... I know I should be in church, but. I know we have this event, but, right? This takes priority. Notice this. Visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. So not only are we hurting our children in the moment, but we are sowing destruction into the generations to come. We're teaching our children lessons, right? If I say, hey, listen, you know what? There's, we have church on Sunday, but we've got this going on, and we're going to go do this instead. What have I just taught my child? This is more, honey, I know church is important, sweetheart, but this takes priority. This is what we're teaching. And then that same lesson goes into that child's heart, and they carry that as they grow up, and they go, you know what? What I learned was, hey, listen, God's a priority unless, unless. 
See, our job is to set God to be the priority in our life. Because notice what he says, the way he closes this out. He says, Fathers, he says, under the third and fourth generation of them that, notice the wording, that hate me. Them that hate me. I know this is not an easy message, but it's something we all need to hear. Because he's saying, hate me. What he's saying is the fact that your love for this thing, this person, yourself, it has made, it's reached a point in time where I see your love for it, and it makes me think that you hate me. That's the way I see our relationship, his perspective. And so when we elevate our kids, our spouses, or whatever else in our life to this place, we are telling God from his perspective that we hate him. Remember, with God, it is as simple as black or white, right or wrong, good or bad, love or hate, and also friend or enemy. Go to James chapter 4, verse number, verse number 4, he says this, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world, those who will make their, their, their dwelling in the world, is the enemy of God. He sees friend and enemy. And so God is a black or white God. It is that simple. And so that God's requirement is this, like, hey, put me first. Just put me first. That's the desire. And can I tell you, if you dare to have this kind of love, the kind of love that we preach in this church for God, if you dare to have this radical kind of, kind of love where you said, you know what, I don't care. Hell or high water, whatever comes, I love the Lord. He's a big priority in my life. Can I tell you that if you have that stand, this world will stand against you. You will face opposition. I can guarantee it. But the worst thing is, when you make that commitment, so many of us in our own homes we will face opposition from some people that say they love God. Well, don't be a zealot. I mean, there's limitations to what you... I mean, come on. Don't be crazy. It has to be number one in everything. Really? Can't we, can't we step it down a couple of, couple of levels? Right? This is the thing that we're seeing here. With Manasseh, what was the dividing line? It's a dividing line of faith. It'll cause contention between believers. Remember what it says. Notice this in Luke 12, 51. Suppose ye that I come to give, unto, give on the earth peace, but rather division. I've come to bring division. So when we look at this tribe of Manasseh, and we recognize the divisions that are established. Listen, they're not based upon loyalty to family only. They're talked about it's, it's family and God. And so what the scary thing is, is we read this and we go, man, that's terrible. But can I tell you, there are people in this room right now that you're facing similar difficulties in your household as we speak. There's division in your home based upon your faith. And it's a frightening thing. But listen, notice what it says here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Notice this part right here. It says, for if I yet please men, if this is what I'm doing, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul says, you know what? I'm not serving the Lord because I'm more concerned with pleasing people than I am with pleasing you. Meaning I'm not serving you. I'm serving them. When in doubt, always, always put God first. And you know what's cool? It's the fact that God rewards faithfulness. So if we will put the Lord first and we will truly give him our heart and we will truly sell out to him and we'll truly surrender, he will fight our battles for us. Amen. That one that stands in opposition to us, they won't be opposing us anymore. They're going to be opposing God. 
And the beautiful thing is God will lovingly work in their life. He may bring calamity. He may allow some of those things to pass from generation to generation. But man, I'm telling you what, God will work on our behalf. And his goal, his goal is always restoration. He doesn't want families to be divided. He doesn't want people to be struggling one against another. He wants us to walk in the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, so it can keep our hearts and minds. Matthew 6.33, we talk about all the time, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's simple. It is simple. So we see through family, the family of Manasseh, we see that honoring God sometimes means separating from family, literally choosing different lands. Okay, we see that pictured for us here, one godly, one ungodly. Next, we're going to see that the instructions that are, as the way these instructions are, are followed, and as Joshua responds, we'll see that um, the second principle is honoring God means honoring women. But Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, and the sons uh, had no sons but daughters, and these are the names of the daughters, uh, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Terzah. And they came near before Eleazar the priest and before Joshua the son of Nun and before the princes, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brethren. Now what's interesting about this, the daughters of Zelophehad here, they are referencing a conversation that actually took place about a year before they actually entered into the promised land. It actually takes place in Numbers 27 verses 1 through 8. It says, Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, Terza. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the princes. Now, that would mean that Joshua was also standing there. And all the congregation by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. And he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah. There was a rebellion that took place that God dealt with but died in his own sin. Look, our dad was wrong. We know. He died in his own sin and had no sons. Why should the name of our father be done away from among his family? Because he hath no sons. Given us, therefore, a possession among the brethren of our father. And Moses brought their cause before the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren. And thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to be passed on to them. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a man die and have no son, then ye shall cause his inheritance to pass unto his daughter. Now, there are plenty of biblically ignorant people that would say idiotic things like, you know what, in order to be a Bible-believing Christian, you've got to be a chauvinist. I can tell you, I've heard it myself. People have called me that. And so recognize, they have the perspective that, listen, you know what, listen, it's a, it's a male-dominated story. You know, everybody that's a hero, they're all a bunch of men. God himself reveals, you know, if there is a God, he shows himself that, that he's a man. You know, Jesus, it's all about men, 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 men. I believe God is anti-woman, right? Now, that's a principle that a lot of people take and a lot of people hold on to. But what you understand is the fact that that could not be further from the truth. If we look in the Old Testament and the New Testament and we recognize and, and see what's happening, well, for much of the time, and you can look historically and as well as uh, I mean, historically and biblically, that for much of the world, women were nothing more. They were considered almost like possessions. That's just the way that they functioned, functioned in the world. And what's remarkable is in the world today, that's still the case in much of this planet. We live in a bubble. We don't understand the real world, okay? So uh, there's a list of the top 10 worst treatment of, of women on the planet. These are the, these are the countries. Ladies, don't go. India. 
Yemen, Iraq, Pakistan, Nepal, Peru, Turkey, Sudan, Afghanistan, and the Dominican Republic of the Congo. In these places, now there are plenty of others, this is just the top 10, there are very, very large percentages of women that are deprived education. They're not allowed to even go to school. They are physically and sexually abused almost on a day-to-day basis. They have very little human rights and are not even recognized by the laws of their countries. And they are literally considered to be possessions of their husbands to do with what they choose. That's in the world today. Okay? So I want you to take that perspective and relate that to what God, as he's talking to these women, is doing. This is countercultural. So when these women approach Moses, I want you to see that he doesn't automatically go, oh, of course, because that's the way we do things. Of course, you ladies, you're going to get it. No, he's like, uh, okay, well, let me check with God. Notice verse 5, he says, and Moses brought their cause before the Lord. He says, listen, I'm not going to go based upon what I know, which would be tell you guys, I'm sorry, that's not how things work, but I'll take it to God and see what he says. And then what happens with God? God responds by not only honoring their request, but then right after that, making a law for all women. Notice what happens in verse 8. He says, And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. We're making a law here, saying, If a man die and have no son, then ye shall cause his inheritance to pass unto his daughter. So as we go through Scripture, what's amazing about this, we see how instrumental women are in God's plan. So we look at uh, an example of faithfulness, man. We look at Sarah. We look at Rahab, who was, who was a harlot, who had a, a wrecked up life. And guess what? She's in the line of, of Christ in his, in his lineage. We look at Ruth, a picture of virtuous woman, man. Proverbs 31. There's your Proverbs 31 woman is Ruth. We look at Esther, who was so brave. She saved the entire nation of Israel. And look at Mary, who carried the very Son of God. Women are important. God values them. Consider, listen, on the cross, who was standing at the foot of the cross? John was there, but guess what? The rest of the disciples had scattered. All the women were gathered there. They put their faith in him. They were willing to stand. And the morning that he resurrected, the first people he revealed himself to were the women that followed him. He showed his love. And so understand there's something special there. Think about how God, you know, and, and, and you know, people that don't know the Bible will say, oh, you know, marriage, it's all about controlling women and sub- subjugation. Or subjug- that's not a word. <laughs> Subjugating. Well, I don't know, whatever. You guys got the list. You know what I was trying to say. Um, that was me showing up, see? God was, we were going fine until I showed up. Um, but it's, it's, it's about control, 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 submit, submit, submit. The world has twisted all of this stuff. I want you to hear what God says to husbands in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. He's your example and gave himself for it. He's saying, listen, he sacrificed everything for the sake of the church. As a husband, if you're going to love your wife, guess what your job is? Sacrifice for her. Sacrifice for her. Put her above yourself. Live for her, not for yourself. This is your role. Follow the example of Christ 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Listen, he says according to knowledge, meaning you know your wife. You dwell with her according to knowledge. You know who she is. And because you know who she is, she's got her own issues and her own struggles. Listen, give honor, honor, honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. She's got places where, guess what? She's not strong, maybe emotionally. This is not talking about one man being, a man being better than a woman. It's saying, listen, she's got her own issues. And because you know what her issues are, you fill those issues in. You support her. 
You lift her up. Don't point out her problems and try to drive her down to control her. No. If she's got an issue, then you come alongside her and you lift her up and you heal that brokenness and you take the weight that she can't carry. That's our role. That's what Jesus does. Cast your care upon me for I care for you, he tells the church, right? And there are women that are carrying weights right now that husbands need to be carrying. And we need to be available. We have to have ears to hear. We've got to be one to sacrifice of our time for them because you know what? A woman needs our time. I almost lost my wife because I didn't know that. But God, but God, and he showed me how to love. And the problem is most of us, because we bring our perspective, right? I brought a lens that I thought I understood what love was. I didn't see love in our home. I didn't see it in my mom and dad. I didn't know what it meant. And I tried my best to try to do what I thought I was doing right. The problem was her lens didn't see what I was putting out. I was going, this is love. And she's going, no, it's not. And I'm like, no, 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 here's extra love. And she's like, that's not love. And I'm like, here's more. And she's like, no, that's not love at all. And I'm like, man, what do I do? I felt like I was banging my head against the wall. But God had to break me down and show me, hey, listen, you don't listen to her. She's speaking. You don't have ears to hear. She's telling you what she needs, but you won't listen because you think you already know. Why don't you shut your stupid mouth and listen? And man, when I started to listen, God showed me a whole lot of things that I've been doing wrong for a very long time. And I did the best that I can. I'm working on it every day to be a better husband. Because that's the example that the Lord sets for us. Proverbs 18, 22. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 4. Oh, I didn't even finish 1 Peter 3, 7. Check this out. Man, I get so excited. <laughs> then the next part says, and being heirs together of the grace of life. Okay, here's what God says. Hey, I got something special for you. Oh my gosh, it's going to be so good. If you'll do this, husbands, guess what? You guys are going to get this life that you're just going to be like, what in the world? This is amazing. And then check this out. And he says, that your prayers be not hindered. What God's saying is, if you don't do this, men, you have a problem with me. Because your prayers, they're going to be hindered because of you not fulfilling your role that I expect of you. I've gifted you with this incredible person and you need to learn how to love her and invest in her because we honor women. 1 Corinthians 7, 4. The wife hath not power, there you go. The wife hath not power of her own body but the husband. There you go, chauvinist. I knew it. (laughs) She's a slave. You see that? Told you. Let's continue in the verse. And likewise, also the husband hath not power of his own body but the wife. Hello? They're a team, right? They have different roles. They have different responsibilities, but they work together as, e- as equal partners to accomplish the will and the work of God. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. What does that mean? That means that their job is to do and raise up the children of God physically but spiritually, that we work together. That's the greatest gift that I have in ministry is my wife. She and I, we get to build people together. It's incredible. Not only do we have physical children, but man, we've got spiritual children. They're sitting in this room. It's awesome. To God be the glory. So, sorry, I get all worked up. I'm getting hot. Dang. 
Uh, Honoring God sometimes means separating from family. Also means honoring God means honoring women. And we're almost done. Last one is this. Honoring God requires honoring his word. Verses 4 through 6. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brethren of their father. And there fell ten portions to Manasseh beside the land of Gilead of Bashan. This is talking about being in the promised land, which were on the other side, Jordan, talking about the other guys. Because the daughters of Manasseh had an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. So there is that division between the two. Joshua does not notice this. He, does, um, he doesn't question God's command. He doesn't consider if he agrees with it. Not at all. He just simply follows it. And in doing so, what he is doing is sending a signal to Israel, to Israel, to all of them. He's relaying to them, listen, that God is not bound by what society says. God is not bound by human expectations. God is not bound by the norms of the world. God is bound to one thing and one thing only, and that's doing what is right. Okay? This is always, always the case. God's character has never and will never change. He does what is right, whether we like it or not. Sometimes, man, God will tell us to do something. We're like, I don't agree with that. And it's like, well, suck it up because <laughs> it's what's right, right? My wife doesn't, deserve, man, you want to understand how she treats me. I love her. She, her. Hey, listen, it does not say if she deserves it, you love her. He says you love her. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Jesus loves us unconditionally. How many of us have been unlovable in our Christian lives at certain points in time? Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, yeah. And what does the Lord do? Just waits on us. Lovingly draws us back to us. Whispers to us in our hearts. Words of correction, but also words of encouragement. Draws us back. Restores us. Lifts us up. Cares our burdens. Lifts us. Man, all these beautiful pictures of what we see in Scripture. So we see this. This is he. He always does what's right. Genesis 18, 25. It says, That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. But, it says, That be, it said, that be far from thee. Check this out. Shall not the judge, notice it's capitalized, that's God, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Amen. It's just who he is. God does what's right. Always. Always, God, his way is always best. Always. When in doubt, and this is what happens. So I go, okay, am I doing the right thing? And we're like, okay, I just want to make, how am I doing, God, on my own course? All we have to do is take what you're doing and align it and see if it aligns with God's word. If it's in God's word and it aligns with his word and his will, you're right on course. If it does not, redirect. Redirect. And it's the willingness to hear. So what happens, some of us, we just, we don't want to hear what we don't want to hear, right? That's why Jesus talks about, he says, he that hears to hear, let him hear. How many of us have ever had a conversation with someone and you just know they're not listening? Yeah. Man, you ever talk to somebody and they're doing this while you're talking? You, they may as well be going, la, 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 I mean, they may as well be doing that. You know, they're just not, nope, nope. You're, it doesn't matter what you say, I ain't hearing it. Nope, nope. And they've got an agenda, man, they're ready to fire. They're just waiting for the pause. But you know what, man, the ability to hear, the Bible says be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And then it says the wrath of man reach worketh not the righteousness of God. Man. So it's done. you got two ears and one mouth. Maybe if we used them in that accordingly. Double the hearing and less the talking. 
But man, we love to talk. The more we listen, the better off we're going to be. And we look at this principle, Jeremiah 9, verse 24 says this, but let him that glorieth glory in this. He says, listen, if you're going to celebrate something, there's one thing that you're going to lift up. I want you to get this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. Jeremiah, God speaking through Jeremiah in this moment, he says that he understandeth and knoweth me. How do we understand and know God? Through his word. That's the key, right? He's saying, if you're going to glory in one thing, this is the thing you need to glory in, that you know me through my word. And then he says this, that I am the Lord. Listen, he says, this is who I am, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. And he says, for in these things I delight. This is what I'm all about. I'm all about loving kindness and judgment and righteousness. I want you to experience the peace of God which passeth all understanding so it can keep your hearts and minds. Surrender, surrender, surrender. The rebellion is destroying you. Though you think it's your answer, it is absolutely the thing that's going to destroy you and your family. Submit and surrender is the picture. And we see it's not only about knowing God's Word, because there's a lot of people that can quote Scripture to you. But it's about application of God's Word. Because I can know what I should do, but doing it is a different story. A lot of times we'll figure out reasons why we won't follow God's Word, or we'll give ourselves some way out. And it's a matter of going, listen, if God tells me, I'm just going to do it. Because if we are doing what God's Word tells us to do, can I promise you this? We cannot go wrong. You cannot go wrong. If you are aligned with God's word, you cannot go wrong. No matter what society may say to us, no matter what modern culture might scream and declare what is true. Because what happens, we live in a world right now where everybody has their own truth. But can I tell you, there is but one truth. One truth. One agreed upon truth. This is God's word. This is truth. So if it does not align up with this, guess what? It is not truth. It is a lie. I don't care how well you package it or how many people approve of it or how many people celebrate it. It does not make it true because if it defies God's word, it is a lie. So what we see Joshua showing us here through giving this inheritance to these daughters is that God's word supersedes everything, even worldwide societal norms. What determines if something is right or something is wrong is not, first of all, check this out, does not matter how it makes us feel, okay? It is not an emotional thing. Right or wrong is not based upon our emotions. It is based upon God's take and God's word on the subject matter. If God says it's right, it's right. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. In no matter what we do, it's not going to change. We determine in our own hearts. We must decide in our own hearts that we will stand on God's word, right? We establish our lives on the truth, and we will not waver. No matter what or who may oppose us, whether it be family, society, or our own emotions, because we betray ourselves all the time, rebellion is a part of who we are. And we have to recognize it in ourselves. For it's only through our loyalty to God's word, which reveals our loyalty to our heavenly father, that our lives can actually make a difference. Listen, Jesus revealed his loyalty on the cross. Not only to the father, but to listen to the sons and daughters of God. You know why? Because family matters. Family matters. We're a part of God's family. 
We need to live accordingly. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the word of God, and thank you for what you have shown us. And Lord, I know today was a hard message, and I'm, I'm not sorry. I just did what you told me. God, I pray that you'd use it. Use it in our lives. Help us, Father, to make the changes we need to make in, in our lives. Help us to recognize rebellion, Lord, in whatever way, shape, or form it may come. And Lord, I do pray, Father, for surrender in our lives. Father, if it's surrender uh, to your will, if you're calling us to something great, God, help us to surrender. Give my brothers and sisters wisdom and insight and to know how to follow you. Lord, if it's in surrender and giving something up, God, help us. Help us to do just that. Help us to shift our perspective, Lord, not to see, the, see you through the lens that the world's given us, but, Lord, see you through the lens that the Bible's given us, the truth of who you are. And I do pray, Father, for your hand to be at work in those that are, uh, were approved today, maybe those that were encouraged today, whatever it was. God, I pray that you'd use today's message for your great glory. God, would you help us all to surrender to what it is that you are calling us to. And with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, listen, I don't know necessarily where I even stand with God. There are a lot of people that are in rebellion to the Lord right now and they do not even realize it. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people that believe in God that are on their way to hell because they've never truly received Christ as their Savior. It's not about believing in God. The devil believes in God. He's not going to heaven. It's not about just simply saying, you know what, I trust or I've been religious or I've prayed a prayer. Great. People pray to pray, pray prayers of salvation and go right back into living into the world and never really made, never gave God their heart. This is a surrender to the will and the heart of God as God draws us. Jesus says, no one cometh to the Father, but no one cometh to me, but the Father draw him. And if you feel the draw of God right now and you realize that you are not a child of God, you have an opportunity today to receive that gift. God loves you right where you are and he died on that cross for your sins. And if you will receive him, he will receive you, I promise you, because he loves you more than you can possibly imagine. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, maybe you've prayed in the past, but you weren't, you know right now in your heart you weren't serious, but you want to receive him. He's ready to receive you right now. He's waiting on you. All you have to do is receive him. And I'm going to lead you in, in prayer. If you want to receive Christ, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Remember, you're talking to God, not to me. It's no magic in the prayer. It's just your heart and his. Repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive him. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for my sin. I know and I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you love me in spite of myself. Right now, in the best way I know how, I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to save my soul. Lord, I pray by faith and trust you for my eternity. I thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Heads